Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Alami podcast, Change Your Company. My guest today is Anders Biagar, Director of Execution Excellence, a consultancy firm focused on helping organizations transform the way they execute their strategy. We will focus in our conversation today on the intersection between strategy, structure, and culture. Anders and Execution Excellence have excellent experience helping organizations navigate through these to drive higher performance. Hi, Anders, and welcome to the Alami podcast, Change Your Company. Hi, Fouad. Thank you very much. Anders, I want to ask you, how did you get into strategy execution and what were the drivers for this? Right. So uh, I, I think, first of all, uh, I think you captured it very well. Uh, you know, basically what we do is, is to help companies figure out you know, what are their strategic options, what are their direction. And I think to me, most importantly, where my passion is to you know, figure out how do we execute that and how do we build that as a, as a capability, execution as a capability. Um, now, I think, of course, the interesting bit here in that entire equation is the, is the company uh, as we call it, uh, you know, it's really just something that we made up. But what it's really about when you talk about execution, uh, if you ask me, is about the people that you work with in that. Uh, and that sometimes requires you to break structures. Uh, you know, you make new ones, you break habits, you make new ones uh, when it's necessary. Um, and then I think when you couple that with the increasing pace and change around us, uh, you know, it becomes more and more needed to, to have that as a capability to stay in the game. I think I, I picked up a statistic uh, the other day where I looked at, you know, 1964, the average life of a company is 33 years. In 2016, they said it was 24, and they predict by 2027, it will be 12 years. So, you know, we got to build that capability pretty fast. Um, so to, to your question of how I got into it, uh, I think I have uh, explained this a thousand times over, you know, uh, to my clients, to my friends, family. Yeah, uh, and even to myself, I think, how do I actually get into this? Um, and I, I think it's one of those things you try to rationalize after the fact. Um, but in uh, in truth, I think to me, it, it was probably a, a lot of luck, a lot of hard work, but most importantly, a lot of good people around me that uh, that gave me almost an unreasonable uh, amount of responsibility to try out stuff um, uh, and work my way through, you know, finding this kind of uh, focus. Yeah. Is there any incident or examples of executions going bad or not in the right way that made you want to do something about it? Uh, yes, definitely. Um, several. Uh, I think I have probably uh, caused some projects to, to uh, sort of culminate in, uh, in not so good outcomes. And I, I think I also helped uh, make good, uh, a few good outcomes as well. Um, I think, I think one of the, the biggest ones I remember was, uh, and I, I suppose that's not really, a, a sort of something we, we can't talk about. I was part of the transformation team in agility mm -hmm. where we realized uh, into the project that, you know, we had taken a very top down approach to some of the things we were doing. Um, and that were, that was causing some troubles down the line where, you know, really a lot of the things we tried to apply didn't apply locally. Uh, so we had to sort of reverse that perspective and, and look much more at the unique circumstances of the structures and the cultures in the local places uh, and adapt to that. Uh, I think that was one of the big eye openers to me. But I think, uh, you know, through my career, it's been a, it's been a, you know, a slow eye opening of, you know, 
how this balance between structure and culture sometimes work and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. And did you did you see this as a pattern that happens, this thing about the top-down, the challenge of the top-down? Is this a pattern that happens in other organizations? Uh, absolutely. Um, I, I think we are very comfortable in, in having this, uh, this top-down approach to how we uh, drive strategy because oftentimes the strategy is conceived in a faraway resort uh, and then we come out of the, the room, you know, the white smoke comes out and, you know, here we have the strategy. And, and, and so a lot of our thinking becomes top-down uh, and I, I think we miss out on a lot of potential and uh, opportunity by not having uh, involved the organization or or seen it from a perspective that's broader than the leadership group. Is this more a skill set challenge or a mindset challenge, you think, about the, the top-down? Is it because they don't know how to involve the people, there is no kind of way of doing it they, they are aware of, or is it because they don't think they should involve them? I think there's no easy answer to that. I think it's a mix. Uh, I think sometimes it's how we've been trained. Uh, I think sometimes it's because uh, it's a vulnerable situation trying to figure out what to do with the company, depending on the circumstances and what we're reacting to. I think, uh, you know, sometimes it's a structure that we have that we've always developed strategy this way. You know, we go away once a year uh, and, you know, revisit the strategy, make a new one, uh, or, or maybe just do five to 10% different from last year. Uh, and, and, and sometimes it's a, it's a mindset where you have leaders that may be more command and control management style uh, versus, you know, involve the organization and let's see what happens, what can come up if we try and create something great together. Yeah. What are the challenges you see in terms of executing strategies? What, what are the common themes that you find working with customers? Well, I, I think I, I would I would take a step back because it's important probably to where we have ended in uh, execution excellence. And, you know, every, I think everyone has heard the statistics by now. I think it's, you know, depending on who you ask, it's some 10 to 30 percent they succeed with strategy and, and what they really set, set out to do, uh, I guess, in the combined efforts of strategy and execution. Maybe it's more. Maybe we don't really know. Uh, you know, maybe there's a huge potential. I think at the end of the day, these numbers are big enough that it's interesting. Um, and um, I, I think it's probably not far away from, you know, the many promises you and I uh, make ourselves every day, you know, and how we, uh, you know, it, it takes so little to throw us off the path we set out to, uh, to, to do, right? Um, and, and I think the fact that we don't realize that potential means, uh, you know, uh, good companies don't get out where they need to be, where the world might need them. And I think good people struggle hard every day figuring out what to, to do and, and how to do it. And I think we can do better than that. The, the trouble is, though, that if you break this down a bit, it's sticky. I think we're we all reading the same books. We're all listening to the same gurus. You know, we go to, to schools and colleges teaching us the same old stuff. And we have leaders that inspire us that were probably, you know, taught uh, and are drawing on experiences from generations before. It's, it's really sticky. Uh, so I think a lot of efforts are being made to turn this around. Um, I think... What most have in common, though, when you look at this, is that you know uh, efforts are being made to to mature strategy and execution, but it's big, unwieldy frameworks, uh, and the concepts are built for for large corporations mostly. Uh, the way I see it, uh, so it's really not scaled to to how uh, you know companies develop. And you know, just look at the facts. And I I had to read up on, on those again just to see see where they stand. But you know, 95% of the companies in the world 
are small to medium-sized companies, 95%. 50% of the world's gross value add is from these companies. Uh, if I was a smart businessman, I would go into the 5%, right? Because it's a, it's a smaller chunk of, of companies. But I think the other half is interesting, you know, and, and only 50% of those survive beyond five years. 60% uh, are in the, you know, of the workers are in the private sector, uh, and they create 60% of the new jobs. So I think, you know, solving the problem of how do we take these big frameworks of strategy execution to small and medium-sized companies uh, and make that available in a, in a simple, not complex way, I think that's, that's what we're trying to really level uh, the playing field of. Um, and in that, we definitely see a lot of patterns uh, that are possibly unique to small and medium-sized companies, and maybe they're really uh, universal to all. So this is this is the focus of uh, strategy execution, uh, execution excellence. The, your That's company. right. It's it's That's small right. to medium companies helping them in that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. And and what so what are the patterns that you see? Well, you know it it it's a it's a large field, and I, I really had to when you asked me that question uh, prior to this podcast. You know, I I really had to think long and hard about you know what, what is what is really the essence because we end up working with a lot of things. Uh, uh, when we try to sort of, you know, build that execution capability. But I think four tendencies I can definitely uh, stand by. I think for one, there's the the culture mismatch, uh, you know, where a strategy is chosen that doesn't really fit culturally with organization. That's one. The second one is how small to medium-sized companies, they go for structures that resemble large corporations, you know, they're way too bureaucratic to what they should be. But that's because, you know, of what we're being taught and, you know, the structures we hear about. Uh, I think we're just doing too much heavy lifting there. The third one is uh, how often the step of creating a strategy for how you execute strategy, how often that step is being missed. And the third one, I think it's more of an observation of, of the leadership style that I, I see that is really going into a very sort of trust-based leadership, intent-based leadership, uh, which is great for small, medium-sized companies because they reduce complexity, but they create some uh, some new problems in the, in the wake, the way I see it. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the first one, which is about the strategy versus the culture. So the, the, mm-hmm. uh, developing strategy, which is not really fitting the culture. Why do you think this happens sometimes? It's a, it's a good question. Uh, I, I, I come to think of a company that I worked with not so long ago. Um, through decades, they had been, you know, sort of developing a very stable uh, business model. Uh, it was across several distinct product lines, you know, four divisions, very strong operational discipline. As it probably happens with a lot of companies, you know, when they, you know, have figured themselves out, you know, they put this into standards and a way of work and it sort of uh, becomes a strong DNA. Um, when we came in, we were looking at their strategy and what they wanted to do for the future. And uh, I think what I could best describe that as uh, in, in short terms is extreme innovation and entrepreneurship. That's what they wanted to do. Uh, how do you think that would fly in a, in a company like that? Yeah, for sure. It's very challenging. Uh, yes. And how did you help them solve this? Well, I think we just there was a little bit of a realization that have to have to happen here. It, it probably wouldn't fly, uh, you know, at least not as an integrated part of the existing business. Because what they had proposed, you know, was that uh, some of the leaders that were responsible for operational excellence would also run a large portfolio of innovative iterations. You know, two very different ways of running a business and iterations. And 
frankly, we, we just couldn't see that that would happen uh, with existing leadership. Uh, and we had to have a similar conversation with the CEO because she would probably be equally challenged in her style and the culture she'd built. So, we, uh, you know, it's not a luxury that many small to medium-sized companies have to sort of just build a whole new division or, you know, isolate this. But it, it was really the only option for them to, to isolate that part of the business that didn't match the existing culture and, uh, and strategy. Yeah. What about the second challenge of execution, which is about the structure, if I remember right? Yeah. How, how, so what kind of challenges there happen? Uh, could you give us an example? Yeah, I, I, I think I've, uh, well, we've sort of developed this mental image uh, around this and it's, it involves traffic lights, really. Uh, you know, if you imagine this massively large road intersection, you know, with people, cars, bikes, trucks, everything going through, it's complete chaos, right? Yeah. Probably how organizations sometimes feel. Um, so the question is, how do we figure out this chaos? Um, you know, we start manipulating this playing field, this intersection uh, to the outcome that we want. And in the world of roads, we probably set up a lot of traffic lights. And the bigger the intersection, the more lanes, you know, more traffic lights, bigger intersections and so forth. I think that maybe there's a small benefit to that because, you know, there's no need to think. Just look at the lights, you know, go or no go. Um, well, unfortunately, in the, in the world of traffic lights, you know, if someone decides to go through a red light, two more will follow and that doesn't look very pretty. But uh, yeah. But I think very often what we see is this back to my previous point is that, you know, small companies trying to imitate large corporations, you know, so you have 10 people companies with, you know, extreme structures, instructions, uh, reporting mechanisms, everything that we manage actually quite well from the back of an envelope uh, and not through many traffic lights. So, you know, uh, it sort of gets you to that point where, you know, if you've ever sat at an intersection in the middle of the night, it's not a single car. Uh, it's, a, it's a red light and you're just really waiting for the green. I think sometimes maybe that's how these small companies that have set themselves up for this situation, they feel like, and you die a little bit every day, you know, inside when you're a part yeah. of something like that. Yeah. So, I, so I think, you know, I have just done it before. I, I made culture the culprit for poor execution. I've talked about culture, right? Uh, but I think we've also argued that too long and too hard. Uh, but I think structure is just as much uh, a big one. Uh, and I think if we stay in the world of, uh, of intersections, I think we should have, you know, much more roundabouts, you know, where we, we put the decision back to the person behind the wheel and, and let people who are close to reality and action uh, make the calls. And uh, ironically, roundabouts are also massively safer than traffic lights. Okay. Interesting. I, I love the metaphor. What could be an example of roundabouts in organizations when it comes to strategy execution? It's, it's a good question. Uh, I think um, maybe we can draw on a small example here that we made recently. I think it's fair to call it a roundabout, actually. Uh, we were in a, in a quite process-heavy organization. And, um, you know, with what we came in to do, we could have easily ended up, you know, doing more processes, building process on process uh, and doing a very top-down approach to succeed because the culture would be used to it. Um, wh what we were in doubt of, whether that would really give us the speed we needed for this kind of project, uh, and we decided a, a different approach. Instead, we, uh, we gave the organization some, uh, some guiding principles. We had, had uh, eight large teams uh, across different units, and uh, they were really not historically involved in this kind of strategic level, but we gave them, you know, full freedom uh, almost to, to, you know, identify and work through critical aspects um, of the business that would determine success 
uh, under the guidelines and the strategy they had chosen. So, you know, everything from key projects to what are the key behaviors and, and really starting to, to identify and live these themselves. And it, it, it was, uh, you know, several parts of that project, uh, unfortunately, failed uh, on, on other aspects, but we could see where, where the involvement had happened, uh, where, where they had been given this freedom. You know, they made massive uh, progress, much faster than we could have done if we had started, you know, doing the process and, uh, and structural approach. We talked about four challenges of execution. What's yep. the third one? The third one is, is uh, I, I think I've seen several CEOs get a little bit tired in the eyes when I've mentioned that, you know, they've just finished their strategy. And what we propose then is that they make a strategy for how they execute strategy. Um, you know, it's, it, it's complex and simple at the same time. Uh, I think some of the best uh, companies out there don't skip, you know, from strategy to then start cascading, to then start doing. They have a step in there, you know, uh, integrated in the strategy and somewhere in that strange gray zone between strategy and execution where they question, you know, the way we've developed strategy and the way we will execute, can that really be the same uh, as in the past two years or do we have to do this differently? Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's hard to come up with new answers to that, right? But it's, uh, I think it's also unlikely that you can execute strategy uh, you know, eight processes in a row exactly the same way. You know, in fact, uh, my, my first year as a consultant, I, I must have had some 150 conversations with CEOs. And it would be this one question I always made sure to bring up as a, as a personal point, you know, how they go about executing strategy. And I think there were just about 150 answers to it. Uh, and they had a much harder time answering this than how they formulate strategy. You know, how do you execute your strategy? Um, so, so I, I think that's a step that needs to be in there. Yeah, and uh, it it goes back to this question we were talking about before, which is, uh, you know, some of them they have a challenge in the mindset in terms of like they see that well it should be straightforward, let's just execute it like top down, and in some other cases, it's a skill set which is they they don't know how to engage the organization to execute it. Do you, yep. do you, can, you, can you elaborate a little bit about the second part, which is the skill challenge? Do you see that this is existing for some CEOs, for some senior leaders, the, the lack of the skill beyond the one-to-one -one interaction, beyond that announcing the strategy or the vision to the organization? Do you see that it stops there sometimes in, in some cases? I think it stops much sooner, actually. I think, I think we take for granted, uh, how easy it is to cascade a strategy and communicate it. Not just that one time when you get up on the, on the pedestal and, and you say, okay, this is what we've decided, but maybe also the many times after that everybody needs to communicate and make sure, you know, it's understood, uh, you know, your role in it. And, uh, you know, communication just never stops when it, when it comes to strategy execution, in my view, because things also keep changing. We keep getting, uh, you know, smarter than the point when we, new least, you know, and that's when we were planning the, the strategy. But I think to your point, um, I guess my best way to answer that is, I, I think I stumbled upon a, a study or a research piece the other day where it said, you know, 83% 80, of, of leaders and managers don't feel they have, you know, a clear way to guide their execution and strategy work. You know, they, it, it's, a, it's a fuzzy, confusing uh, area. Um, so 
there's definitely a, a skill gap in that. Do you think it's caused because of the business education, executive education, because the way organizations have been managed and led in the last decades, or is it something beyond that? I think it's a it's a combination. It's a tough question. Um, definitely, a lot of things are pointing towards the fact that you know what I was also mentioning before. This is a sticky topic, right? Because we don't change as fast as the as the new ways of leading uh, develop. You know, as a leader, you maybe start ten years in a speciality, and then you come out, and you know, you suddenly you're a leader. Uh, so where do you look? Okay, you think back, you know, from the past ten years, who led you, and you know, what did you pick up uh, if you picked anything up? Uh, and then you sort of have to feel your way into an area which is uncomfortable. And the minute you get comfortable with something that feels like, okay, this is working, uh, I'm, I'm making some results now, you might even stop improving because you found your autopilot. You found something that worked and it becomes, you know, it's costly then to start doing something else um, because it, it just requires something new for you and you become vulnerable you know, the minute you, you try something else and you feel inauthentic. So I, I think that, that what I'm trying to get to is it's a complex question. Uh, and um, it's definitely part, in part uh, due to to how we've been taught, how things, how fast things are developing, uh, and how we as leaders, how fast we're able to sort of not relearn everything and start over where everyone else has started, but you know, uh, pushing ourselves a little bit faster through the maturity that you need to gain as a leader, uh, learning the skills you need to learn and. Uh, being vulnerable uh, while you do that because you are you're you're tr treading into uh, you know untreaded lands. Yeah, I think vulnerability is definitely an area which is a lot of leaders don't feel comfortable exploring or being there. And uh, as you said, it's a critical to be vulnerable to be able to navigate through this. Yeah, absolutely. When it comes to executing the strategy, with, you, with your work with all this organization that you've been uh, helping, what are like three to maybe five things that leaders need to consider when it comes to implementation and when it comes to execution? What are tips you could give them like in terms of taking into consideration for the execution? Right. Um, I'm always very hesitant giving these kind of uh, tips because it's very contextual and individual, right? But uh, I do think through the years, I've, I've sort of stuck to a few that I think always keep coming up. Uh, one is uh, sort of the adjustment mindset. You know, just get things done, but also adjust fast. Uh, you know, I think uh, one of uh, uh, the books that I ended up reading at one point around strategy execution was by Bossy and Charon. And one of their philosophies is the whole you know, strategy execution is about exposing reality and acting on it. And as you're in ex execution, you know, you expose a lot of reality. Uh, and so you got to have that adjustment uh, mindset. And maybe, you know, you ask yourself along the way, you know, what truths have we uncovered that will likely affect our plan? And do we do anything about it? So I think that's one, this whole adjustment mindset. The, the other one is experimenting. I think it, it goes back to what we talked about just before is, you know, I think I've seen so many leaders now that found six to seven things that work for them in their role. And because of that, they stopped developing because it was uncomfortable uh, to develop. And it's a lot easier just to stick in the, uh, onto the autopilot, right? And, um, and it comes back to this whole question of, you know, the minute you stop experimenting, the easier it is uh, to, 
to sort of uh, have reduced cost of becoming a leader. Uh, and you will feel inauthentic the minute you start doing something else. I feel strange. Uh, you know, so my point being is that in experimenting, it's really about, you know, trying a lot of stuff and keep what works and keep trying a lot of stuff. My third one, I think, goes back to the other one we talked about is vulnerability. I think it creates trust. Uh, I think uh, it it sort of uh, keeps us to this uh, very humane level that we should not forget just because we're at work. We're whole people, we're private, and we're professional at the same time, ourselves and our employees. Uh, and if you're made of this stuff, if you can be vulnerable, I think you're more likely to step up uh, and be accountable for you know things that you did not decide yourself as a leader or have all the answers for. And you, you know, you stop uh, feeling that you need to have all the answers. Um, and I, I think that will keep you humble. It will keep you willing to develop. So this whole vulnerability mindset. And then uh, I think that my fourth one and the last one will probably be this whole, I haven't found a great label for it, but conversations I think is important. Like this debunking the whole misconception, as I also said before, that you, you need to have all the answers. Have conversations, you know. The minute you don't and think you have to have the answers, you stop listening. You stop listening to the business environment. You stop listening to the organization. And, uh, you know, you will end up in leadership meetings where everybody feel that, you know, it's more about telling everyone else than listening and creating that debate that creates better results and better uh, outcomes. Yeah, so. this is a great, great point about the conversation. I had the interview with uh, Professor Mike Beer from yeah. Harvard just uh, a few episodes before, and he talked about how they have this process, which is called the strategic fitness process, which is all about having a dialogue between the senior leadership team and the mid-management and the frontline to refine even the strategy and to think about how we can execute it uh, in a successful way. So, and this goes like, this confirmed your point about, about having this conversation continuously. How does this relate to agile? And agile is of course, hot topic today in organizations and in leadership. Oh, could you elaborate on that question? Yeah, so agile is today is the word about how leadership should adapt to new environment and be flexible and the agile process and the rhythms and uh, do you think what we are talking about here relate to this? I think uh, it definitely does. Uh, I, I think one of the way I've seen it so far, some of the misconceptions is that agile uh, is just about doing things and, and it doesn't have a structure. It's extreme structure um, that you have. And, and I think if, you know, if you couple that with a whole part of you know, the need for conversation at multiple levels of organization, um, that can also sound like a, a little bit of a, a fluffy concept, but I, I think you can create that with an extreme structure where you always nurture and facilitate that debate that has to happen to create better solutions. Um, so uh, even though it's a long shot, I think that's definitely part of, uh, of the agile mindset that I would like to see. Yeah. Is there any advice you have for leaders? And uh, I mean, we talked about uh, the vulnerabilities, experimentation, the dialogue. Mm -hmm. Is there any other advice you have for senior leaders and organizations? No, I, I think it would be these four to, to try to, to try and think this into the way you uh, act and develop as a as a leader. And what about for young leaders who are who want to 
reach the top in a way and they want to be more successful is there one insight you could you could give them beyond this something about learning something about developing themselves being yeah yeah i mean i i think uh i've always tried to figure out you know sort of where what are my habits what is it that i you know that that pushes me to do the things that i do and i think uh one is um I think one is curiosity. Uh, it keeps my my autopilot at check. It keeps me experimenting. It keeps trying new stuff. It keeps me vulnerable. Uh, but that curiosity that you know, keep trying to find new angles, perspectives to problems, uh, and you know, acknowledging then that there's probably multiple answers to the same problem. Um, and then I think it goes also. I mean, I'm, with regards to my habits, I think it goes back to you know the whole conversation piece. You know, you can so easily get stuck in podcasts and articles, books, and a lot of good stuff. But I think uh, it's really when you engage with real people, real problems, real solutions, that that some of the, you know, that that you uh, keep developing and and get into situations where you, um, uh, yeah, where you develop. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about some personal reflections from from your side. What helped you keep growing all these years? Um, well, I would definitely say it's a couple of these habits. Uh, it also goes back to, I think, the the luck that I had that I was put in situations where I had managers and, and leaders that gave me extreme freedom. Uh, and I think that was, uh, I, I took a lot of good things uh, away f- uh, with, you know, my 10 years in agility, where we've also spent some time. Uh, one of them was this environment where you could really, you know, try a lot of stuff, keep what works, you know, you could experiment, you could, you know, find yourself a leader and 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 you had leaders that that supported that. Uh, but to keep developing, I think uh, I, I had a long period where I would uh, just endless articles, podcasts, and, and whatever I could get my hands on to keep new perspectives. Uh, but I think at the end of the, t- uh, end of the day, what really made, it, made a difference in that was, I think, two things that I stopped, uh, you know, looking for, for more quantity in articles and podcasts and made more of it practical. Because, you know, you know, instead of consuming knowledge, you know, I try to take a few things and, and make it practical because a lot of it ends up being, you know, hypothetical or academic. Um, yeah. So, uh, and, and actually one of my, my, my leaders uh, once told me that, you know, he thought it was great that I, I came with all these ideas from these things that I'd read and, you know, found. But, you know, he also thought, okay, let, let's make some of it uh, part of our business. How, how do we translate this? So I think my lesson there was that, but it was also, that's great. It didn't kill my curiosity. So if I was to pass that sort of insight on becoming more practical, how do I do that with a person without killing their curiosity? Because, you know, it's a balance between consuming knowledge and, and being curious. The other thing I think is range. Uh, it's so easy. To, I mean, if you've seen the number of strategy books and execution books out there, it's, you know, you can never finish uh, you can yeah. you know, just trying to select some would take you most of your lifetime to to do right so uh i, I think i'd sort of for, forced myself to to keep uh, nurturing my range and not digging myself into too specific an area but also look at unusual places and fields you know to some of the questions and answers that we're looking to solve so the you know much broader perspective uh than than just the the business books could you give us example about what are fields that you explore usually? Well, you, I mean, you, if you if you look at uh, 
sort of scientific field in general, uh, you know, how some of our, our major climate uh, problems have been solved through the process, but also practically. Uh, and, you know, I, I think you can get inspiration there um, that, that can definitely you know, take you far. Yeah. I mean, tell us a little bit about your podcast because you have a podcast and it's very exciting. You, you have different guests from different backgrounds there, even though you are focused on strategy execution. Can you tell us a little bit about this? It's fascinating to me. Right. So, so really it was the, I guess it was based on this perspective of range and, you know, not getting into too specific an area. So the, the tough part here is not really knowing where to look. Um, and, and how do you figure that out? So, so the podcast, a mimer, which is really a, a well in Norse uh, uh, mythology, uh, was the you know well of knowledge, and you know the idea that we would try and just explore and see what comes up, uh, just talking to a diverse uh, number of people who, who have very different backgrounds and uh, might you know give us ideas that we wouldn't have found if we just looked in the in the you know traditional places. So. I guess the the answer that you don't necessarily want from this is that we have no idea what we're looking for. We have no idea yeah. who to ask, but we're yeah. constantly trying to, you know, take a new perspective, see what we find, see if we can get something that, that will give us a new perspective on a strategy and execution. Yeah, great. Uh, yeah. And, and I think that's why you will never see execution excellence with a, a model or framework that we will use the next 10 years. It will probably keep developing. And I think we're, the minute we think we're finished, uh, then we're probably finished as a business. <laughs> yeah. What's one success habit that you have developed throughout the years which helped you to be successful in helping your customers uh, improve their performance and execute their strategy more effectively? A success habit. Especially when working with customers. Right. I, th I think uh, to keep it at the sort of in line of in line with what I've said before, I think it goes back to the conversations because everything is about context. Uh, we've, we're, you know, and, and that, that's basically why I think a businesses like ours is um, is hard to scale because everything is is contextual and you kind of start uh, at a blank piece of paper every time because you got to understand you know what what is really the the situation this company is in uh, you know when you talk to the people you know what what's their backgrounds what the, what's their uh, reason for being in the position and situation that they are right now and truly understand that before you come with some framework or some model or some approach to where they're going and uh, I mean to, to say it frank shove it down the throat of the organization you don't really want to do that. So we, we spent a lot of time with these conversations uh, early on, um, trying to to uh, to understand fully what would be the right means for the situation. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of time when you talk to people like us, you would think that you know leadership uh, and management is what we work with. Uh, but I, I think at the end of the day, it's really just a means to an end. You know, we oftentimes end up talking to leadership and management because that's that's where it starts. Uh, but but that's really not. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of avenues, paths down to to better strategies and, and better execution. This is excellent. Let's. My my last question is: What's a legacy that you like to leave behind with all your work, Anders? 
Wow, we have some big questions today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a good one. It's, it's not one I haven't, you know, thought about from time to time. Of course, we all do. Uh, for sure, there's some, some family in there. There's some friends. There's some community. There's, you know, uh, my professional life. But I think, honestly, I don't know. Uh, I, I think I, I truly hope that I can make a positive difference uh, for a great many. And that that will involve, of course, uh, some of the things we're focusing on right now, uh, trying to to create better circumstances and a, a level playing field for for small and medium-sized companies. Um, but who knows, five to ten years uh, down the line, what you know, odd people we've talked to and uh, new angles we've found, uh, maybe yeah. it will be uh, a different angle to it. Yeah. Anders, thank you so much for being with us today. Your, your mission, helping organizations improve their strategy execution, improve their performance, and the way you go about it, which is all about engaging dialogue, conversations, understanding context, which is every organization is different, and helping through, through this process, the, the culture, the structure, improving it, is something which is great and somehow it's similar to the journey that I've been on and what this podcast is about, which is helping making the workplace better, more effective, higher performing, more engaging. So thank you so much for taking the time and being with us today. And I wish you the best for your next adventure. Thanks for what? Thanks for having me. Thank you. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to this uh, other another episode for from Alami Podcast, Change Your Company. If you haven't subscribed, please do, and would be really curious to hear your feedback on the podcast, on this episode, so feel free to do so. Thank you so much. Until next time. Mm-hmm.